0: Acts 9, just remain seated, I'm going to be reading 32 through 42, and that's where we're going today, I'm going to finish out chapter 9, and we will get into chapter 10, where we will do a brief summary, because we've already went over chapter 10, um, and we did that weeks ago, or actually months ago, and uh, there was a reason for that, but let's finish Acts chapter 9 today, and let's get started there in Acts 9, 32, and following. Acts 9, 32 and following. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Enos, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Enos, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translates, translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples And turning to the body he said Tabitha arise and she opened her eyes and when she saw Peter she sat up and he gave her his hand and raised her up then calling the saints and widows he presented her alive and it came and it and it became known about throughout all Joppa and many believed in the Lord and he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon a tanner. May God bless the reading of his word. We have been looking at for the last probably a month and a half, Saul. Saul's story is pretty complex, but it's it's a miracle, and, and Saul's story is it's it's marvelous to look at. It is, it is profound to see what happened with this apostle Saul, this apostle Paul. But we're going to be moving from him, and his story just kind of cuts off right there in 31. And it just picks up with uh, Simon Peter here in 32. And so we're moving from Saul to Simon Peter in our text. And the last time we saw Simon Peter was in Samaria. And what was he doing in Samaria? If you recall, Philip had been preaching... And, the, and the, the, the Word of God, the Gospel, had went to the Samaritans just as Jesus said that it would in the Great Commission. If you recall that. Everybody follow? Amen. Joanne, you follow? By show of hands, everybody follow. So we backtracking. We're backtracking to where Peter was at. The last time we saw him, he was with Philip. And him and John had came down to lay hands on the saints that were there that had been saved, and they received the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We know that to be true in the previous chapter. These are long chapters. This was the last time that we saw him. We've been on Saul ever since. The message of Christ was spreading like wildfire. We picked up Saul and we looked at him, but the whole time the message was still spreading. As we zoomed in on Saul, we could see the Lord intricately moving in his life and working great miracles in in the life of Saul. Then we see him and he moved from this town to the next to the next. And we finally see him in his old hometown in Tarsus at the end of what we left off from in verse 30. So the gospel was being spread, and don't think for a second that the gospel is still not being spread, because it is. We may not be seeing a great influx in America, or it may be in isolated pockets, but that doesn't mean that that's the case around the globe. The gospel is still being spread, and people are still being saved. As a matter of fact, we pick back up here with Peter. And we see his work that's fixing to take place here in verse 32. The gospel so far went to the Jews, to those in Judea, to those in Samaria, to the Gentiles, up to Damascus. Now we're going and we're back in Jerusalem and he is moving towards the coast. And by the end of the morning, we will be at the coast where he is with one in Caesarea named Simon the Tanner. In the book of Acts, we truly see John 15 come to life. What does it say in John 15 that I am the vine, right? What does a vine do? It spreads, doesn't it? Amen. And, it, and it, it spreads, and that's why we have vines. Some, some people plant vines on a work so it will spread as a prophecy fence or whatever it may be. But when we look at this vine in Acts 15, we see that it is a spreading vine. I mean, if you go into the Old Testament, even into the tabernacle days where you had sacrificial offerings... Right there, the first sacrifice that came in, there were four horns on the corners of that sacrificial altar, pointing to the north and to the south and to the east and to the west showing forgiveness for those all the way around the camp. In other words, it was a spreading forgiveness. And this is a spreading vine that we see taking over and taking charge in this area. It begins there in Jerusalem and it spreads to to Judea in that area and then to Samaria and then all the way to the Gentiles to Damascus. And then it's just spreading like crazy. It's a spreading plant. A vine is a spreading plant. And we know that the gospel of Jesus Christ is just that. That's what it does. It spreads from one to another. And it doesn't matter how hard the heart is. And I've used this illustration before, but I'll use it again because it's very powerful. It doesn't matter if it's a rock. It doesn't matter if it's a brick wall. If you let a vine go unchecked, it will go straight through it. It will break it apart. I have seen brick walls and I have seen stones where vines have went through and broken them apart. Anybody seen it? And so it doesn't matter how hard the heart is. We were talking about Phil Robertson the other day and his movie that he put out. That was a hard-hearted man. But God's grace... Penetrated that, that rock, that hard heart, Amen. and broke it to pieces. And made it soil that could receive and that could grow and that was rich. This is what we're talking about. The gospel is being spread and it's still being spread today. Today. It was crossing all types of boundaries and barriers and borders. And this is one thing that you cannot do is stop it. People have tried to stop it. And you just can't, can you? You can't put a lid on it. You can't stop it. You can't quiet it or silence it. You can't kill enough to get out of the way. You can't, you, there, there's nothing that you can spray on it to, to put it down. The gospel is going to move forth. We pick back up here with Peter and here he is in verse 32 and he's checking on the churches in the area. His commission was there in Jerusalem and he's in the area and he's checking on the churches that are in the area. As any apostle would have been doing. Why would he have been doing this? Listen to what it says in verse 32. Now as Peter went here and there, what was he doing? Strolling? No. He wasn't just strolling. He wasn't just walking around. These were places that he was going to do his work as an apostle. As he went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. A lot of these words, if I'm pronouncing them wrong, just overlook me in my ignorance. He came down to Lydda. You notice it says he came down because he's leaving the elevation height of Jerusalem, obviously, was higher than Lydda, and Lydda was in a plain. And then, as he's moving, goes from a high place to a plain, and then into a valley as he gets down into Caesarea, where he is in um, where he where he ends up at later. But he's in this he's in this plain that he reaches. Lida and Sharon was a plain that was known for its fruitfulness. It was also known for the doctors of the law to stay there, according to Jewish historians. They would stay there and they would debate the law. And so here this everyday, ordinary super-apostle <laughs> comes down to Lida. And he's going to check on what's taking place and what's going on. And, and here and there among them all, he came down to also to the saints who lived at Lydda. So he's going and he's checking on these churches. What would he have been doing at the churches? As you look at the different letters of the apostles, you see that they would have checked on a lot of different things making sure first and foremost making sure i believe that the word of god was being preached accurately this was one of the jobs of the apostle right he was to go around and he was to see and to make sure that the word of god was not being tainted that it was accurate that it was pure that the doctrine of christ was was accurate that the gospel message and the, the people that were there and that were sharing it and working were, were doing it right. I also believe that he had have been looking at worship. You see where Paul addresses this to the Corinthians, right? And so if Paul addresses it, we also know that Peter would have been addressing these very issues as well. So he'd have been looking for indiscrepancies in the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God, and he would have also been looking at how they conducted themselves in worship. How they acted, how they behaved, what was going on. Making sure things were in order. He'd have probably had sit-downs with the pastors, right? As an apostle. He'd had sit-downs with the pastors, and and I can't even imagine what this would have looked like, sitting across from the apostle Peter. I mean, my eyes would be as big as silver dollars. I mean, thinking about it. He had had sit-downs with the pastors and, and spoke with them and shared with them. He wasn't just taking a stroll, but he was aiding these pastors in their doctrine and teaching them where they may be falling short at. Any place in the church that was off or wasn't quite right, he was he would have been correcting, and so he was moving from place to place among the saints working in these churches, making sure it was firing, the church that is, on all cylinders, right? And so he moves in there in 32, we just read it, and he uh, also to the saints who lived at Lydda. And then in verse 33, there he found a man named Enos, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And now I want to I say something here for just a moment. Uh, I have preached over Acts or uh, Ephesians chapter two and those that are dead in their trespasses and then their sins enough from this pulpit. I'm not going to try to go that direction today with the raising of one that is lame and the raising of one that is dead. Okay, I want to focus in on the miracle itself because of what comes after that. And so I have at great length preached on the dead and those that are spiritually bankrupt, spiritually dead. I have preached on that and only the Lord can bring that person to life. And I'm going to preach on it again if I don't get quiet. So I'm going to move on to 33. There he found a man named Aeneas. I think it's Aeneas actually. Bedridden for eight years who was paralyzed. Eight years. This man was on his bed paralyzed. I've been here going on six years. Been walking around to and fro going everywhere, just walking. This man was paralyzed. Eight years. Can you imagine the burden? What this must have been like for his family, even if he had it? Somebody must have been taking care of him because for eight years he was living, but he was paralyzed. Bedridden. On his back. We don't have to Go 2,000 years ago to understand that this man would have had sores and he'd have probably been in a pretty pitiful condition. Even today with modern medicine we know that for someone that is paralyzed for eight years they have to be turned and they have to be moved. Right? They have to be tended to and taken care of. And here this man, 2,000 years ago, was paralyzed for eight years. I can't imagine that. But the Lord, right? But the Lord sees fit to do something. Listen to what it says in verse 34. So Peter comes to him and in verse 34, And Peter said to him, "Enos." Listen to what he says to him. Jesus Christ heals you. This is not a command for him to do anything. He didn't ask him about his faith. He didn't ask him to do anything. He literally walks up to this man that is bedridden and has been for eight years, and on the power and authority of the name of Jesus Christ, he says, Jesus Christ heals you. He wasn't healed when he picked up his bed. He was healed at that very moment. Jesus Christ heals you. A lot of times we see a command and then the miracle comes after that, where it's exercised out by faith, but we don't see that. In this text, we don't see that at all. No, in fact, we see Peter walking up to this man and he speaks very clearly to him, and this is what he says. He calls him and he says this, calls him by name, and he says this Jesus Christ heals you. Mic drop. Boom. Why is he doing it? What's taking place here? It's not hard. We are seeing the authority and power of Jesus Christ still being displayed in this region. He was healed before the command was given to pick up his bed. And it's of this the Lord is saying this. In case you're wondering who's still in charge, I am, Jesus Can't we see how the witness and the testimony of others has much greater impact than we could ever imagine? I want you to look at this. This man, he had a testimony and his testimony was this, that he had been bedridden for eight years, paralyzed. This message is simple. It's not hard. The power of God healed him. And we know that the power of God can heal any type of sickness at any time that he so chooses or desires to do so. But we also know spiritually that the power of God can heal. And he can still do that today. So he uses this man as a way to reach the lost. This is what's taking place here in this town called Lydda. Listen to what happens. He found a man there. He was paralyzed for eight years. He speaks to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. Immediately he rose. And then this happens. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him and they turned to the Lord. This is an explosion of evangelism. Once again, by Simon Peter. The Lord working through Simon Peter... Jesus Christ working through Simon Peter. Evangelism is, is fixing to just absolutely explode and in fact it does. Because of the healing of this one man, those residents of Lida and the residents of Sharon came to know the Lord. They came to know the Lord. Not a lot of razzle-dazzle right there, is there? But wait a second, there is. You see, because a man that was paralyzed was healed, in case you forgot that. And then two towns that were around him came under the banner of the Lord Jesus Christ. Two towns were saved. These people that were in those towns, they were saved because of the witness and the testimony. They could see this man up, walking around, moving around, and they were turned to the Lord. That is a miracle. That's more of a miracle than the man being raised. Can't we see that? And this is what the Lord is using. He is using this lame man that has now been raised so that his gospel message, this evangelism, could go out and people be saved. Verse 36. Here we have another. Another, and listen to what it says, there was in Joppa a disciple. It's odd that the the man that was laying down that was paralyzed was not called a disciple. But here, emphasis is keyed in on that first. It says here, now there was in Joppa a disciple. And that is beautiful, and I'm going to tell you the reason why it's beautiful. Most generally, when we have an introduction of somebody in God's Word, it starts out with a man or a woman, or a chief priest, or this or that. But in our text today, in verse 36, it says, Now there was in Joppa a what? A disciple. Could the Lord say that? Or could, you, could it be said about you that you were a disciple of Christ. This is powerful. I mean, this woman had, a, had an exceptional testimony. They lived in Joppa, a disciple. I hope and I pray that people would be able to say that about each of us. You know, those people down at Grace, they're disciples, true disciples of the Lord. But then that, if that's to be said, then that has to do with our conduct and our character. That has to do with how we live and our sanctification process. For this to be seen and for this to be understood about a certain person, it means that that person has to be living a life that is truly above reproach. And how often do we fail at that? Quite often. just goes to show you how good of a person Tabitha was. She's introduced into Scripture here as a disciple. And that is absolutely beautiful. I'd rather be called a disciple of Jesus than a pastor. Did y'all hear that? Do you have that witness about you? That testimony about you? Would people look at you and say, you know, he's a disciple of Jesus Christ. He belongs to the church. Her name is then given, named Tabitha, which means gazelle or deer or hind is what it means. But in the other language, it means Dorcas. Now that's a funny Word to say. Me and my brothers used to take great shots at each other saying this word as kids. We did. But nevertheless, it wasn't then. This was the name. This was her name, Dorcas or Tabitha. And listen to how she is described. While she was living, listen to how she was described because she's dead at this moment. In the Scripture. And so I'm going to ask you the question, how will people describe us when we are dead? Because the last time I checked, we all will die if the Lord tarries. Some of us have had close encounters already. Heart attacks, strokes, car wrecks all sorts of the cancers all sorts of different things how will you be known after you're gone will you be known as the disciple of Jesus Christ a disciple of Jesus someone who loved Jesus and gave gave their all for him will you be known like tabitha someone who cared for the church Cared for the widows of the church. When I, when I read this, I was telling Shirley this morning, one of the first things that I thought about when I read this was Willie Mae. Because when COVID happened, Willie Mae put to to work her acts that she could do. One of which was to sow. She could sow. She could sow just about anything. And so Willie Mae, what she did, and I, and I still see her right here, but she's gone to be with the Lord. (laughs) But one thing that she did, as soon as people started getting COVID, she began to sew masks for the widow women in Jonesville. And she began in the wintertime to sew hats, crochet or whatever she did. I don't know exactly what it was. Hats for the same ladies at the Council on Aging. And so when this passage of Scripture comes about, and we see this disciple named Tabitha, full of good works. It says she was full of good works and acts of charity or agape. Self-sacrifice. I thought I I couldn't help but to think about Willow Bay because of the... And I think about others, but it came to be because of this lady making these tunics for the widows. And I remember her making the different hats that were for warmth, the face masks that were to cover their, their, their faces so they wouldn't get sick. Willie Mae was a dear sister in Christ, wasn't she? I miss her. Do y'all ever miss her? I do. I do. Listen to what this word says. There's was a disciple named Tabitha. She was full of good works in 36 and acts of agape, acts of love, self-sacrificial love that came out of a heart that had been changed and transformed by the power of God. This woman was a Christian. And you say, there's not a lot of razzle-dazzle. If that ain't razzle-dazzle, I don't know what is, man. This is, this is a beautiful story of a woman who lived a life sold out for Jesus Christ and for the church. Full of good works and acts of charity. 37, in those days she became ill and she died. That's hard when we lose someone that we love. This woman was part of the church there. And when we lose someone that we love, it's hard. And it's like we have a hole in us. And as I look through the congregation, and I'm not not even looking to to the places, but I can see those that we've lost. And it hurts my heart. It does. And I can understand the pain of those ladies that were here. Because they had taken, they'd been taken care of by, by this Tabitha. When someone passes that doesn't ever do anything for anybody else and it's just all about themselves, uh, that is one thing. But when someone passes that does for others, that loves on others, that encourages others, and that builds other people up, when that person passes, how sad a day it truly is. And this is what we see with Tabitha. These people were grieving. Listen to what it says. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. She died. 38, since Lida was near Joppa, the disciples... She was a disciple, and here's more disciples. The disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him. It was a close, in proximity, it was close. So here's the church in action. Tabitha was in action, she died. Then what happened? Somebody had to step up. Right? Somebody had to step up and if we're not careful church if we don't understand exactly what we're talking about here if we don't see the need for people to step up when somebody passes I don't know what else to say these people these disciples stepped up and they ran to Peter they went to him this was an urgent matter they were fixing to bury her they had already done the ceremonial washing and and wrapping her she was ready she was ready for the tomb. But they heard that Peter was close and they knew that the Lord had given him power. They knew that the Lord worked through him and so they go after him. And this is what they say. Urging him. This church was in action to go get this man to come heal Tabitha because they believed that this could happen. And this was their plea. Please come to us without delay. Hurry. Hurry. We need you here. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. And I want you just to envision this. This is a sight that we can see in Scripture that with, by faith, we can, we can, I think we can see it with our eyes. Listen to what it says. So Peter arose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. He walks up the steps. The disciples took him up there. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics. I can see it. I can see it right now. Peter is there, Tabitha is before him, And these widow women are there and and they're showing everything that Tabitha has done for them. Let me ask you a question. What will your legacy be? I don't see a greater legacy that you could leave behind than the charity and the good works that Tabitha did. She reached out to those that didn't have anything, the widows. That was a very bad position to be in 2,000 years ago. Those that were truly widows, very bad place to be in. But Tabitha saw a need. And Tabitha worked for the Lord, and in that work for the Lord, Tabitha went to these ladies and went to these different ones that didn't have anything and made them tunics or made them clothes so that they wouldn't be cold. She took time out of her day. Listen to what it says. All the widows stood beside him weeping. They were weeping. They were crying. Showing him tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. Do you reckon she was loved? She was working for her Lord is what she was doing. And it's not come to, to, to light until after she dies. What what would your legacy be if you passed? Would it be that you were full of self-sacrifice for others? Would it be that maybe you gave and you gave and you gave. He was a giver. She was a giver. Maybe it would be he was as honorary as they come. And couldn't, couldn't deal with him. What would your legacy be? What would your testimony and your witness be? Tabitha's was absolutely exceptional. It was incredible. She had one that was full of love. She had one that was full of works. She had one of of caring. And this woman was... She was amazing. And then we see that it really puts us to shame, doesn't it? on what we forget to do for the Lord, as if He is in fourth or fifth place. It puts us to shame because we realize and see our shortcomings where we are not doing the work of Tabitha. We don't have as much zeal. And if you, and if you say, Pastor, I do, praise God. But if this is hitting you where where it hurts, I pray that you would change and serve the Lord with gladness and do His work in His church. Do His work in the community. Just as Tabitha was doing. Listen to what it says. The widows are crying. They're showing him everything that Tabitha made. And I'm just about done, done, guys. Just pay attention. Verse 40. But Peter put them all outside. He says, get out. Y'all are crying, y'all are wailing, get out. I don't want to hear it, just, you know, just, he's got to put him outside, he's going to have to have some time for prayer. It says he knelt down and he prayed. He didn't do this with the man before, but he did here. He knelt down and prayed and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. What a beautiful, beautiful story. He prays and he turns to her and he says two words Tabitha, arise. I think Simon Peter gets it honest because <laughs> he's acting like his Lord here. Lazarus, come forth, right? He says, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Instantly, she went from pale, lifeless, nothing, dead. Instantly, she came to having that flushed color in her cheeks again. Her eyes opened up and her pupils dilated, or whatever they do, and her heart began to pump. And instantly, instantly, she was awake. She opened her eyes, and when Peter saw her, saw Peter, and when she saw Peter, she she sat up, and and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then, calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Why the two miracles? In case you missed it, verse 42 tells us right here, just like it does in the earlier passage of Scripture, in 35. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. What does it say here in this one right here, in verse 42? And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord these miracles were exercised and they were performed so that people would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ i pray today that if there's one here that has saw the power of God and his word and understands that they are sinners that by faith they would that they would believe and the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would turn to the Lord, just as those that were in Joppa did, just as those that were in Sharon or Lydda, that they would turn to the Lord, believing in Him by faith, for the forgiveness of sins, and eternal life. I hope and I pray that you can see, out of these two miracles, that the Lord worked through Peter, that Many, many came to know Jesus. So we've looked at the life of one that was paralyzed and how pitiful it was. We looked at the life of one that was dead and and how she impacted so many. And now we we see the true meaning behind this is that the Lord worked these miracles... Not only to heal these people, but also to display His power and authority so that people would be able to come to know Him. And today I give Him praise from that. We praise Him from whom all blessings flow. What would your life story from others be after you're gone? Tabitha's was excellent. Excellent. And then let me ask you this. If you were raised up and had an opportunity to do it again, what would you do different? I believe Tabitha would have went right on along her way with doing what she was doing. My question is, how can you change? My question is, what can you do different? We don't have to die to understand what's going on here in this text. She had an excellent testimony. Do you have an excellent testimony? And if not, that testimony can be changed. And it can be changed by starting with trusting in the Lord and doing His work. Listen to what it says. 43, and he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon A. Tanner. That's the end of chapter 9. And when we get into chapter 10, we're going to see him there. Um, we're going to see him with Simon. And, and we've already looked at that. It's a, it's a very, very long chapter. And uh, I'm going to do some highlights on that next week. And then we're going to move on to 11. And so if we can, let's stand. Praise God today that we're able to see two miracles worked in, in his word. We understand that he is still the miracle working God, that he is still able not only to raise the dead at at a moment's notice, but also to raise the spiritual dead, the spiritually dead, and to call them to life. And so I praise him for that. I hope and I pray that our life stories would be like this, Tabithas. Not like the man that was before, who laid there and was not able to do anything, but like Tabithas. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray.